Well, I'm a pastor and I serve as executive director of Spiritual Orphans Network. This year has been interesting. I'm serving as an interim head of school at Banal School. And that's an international boarding school. And by it, uh, not just people from different countries, but we're speaking spiritually, it has a wide diversity. We have students who are devoutly Muslim, students who are Hindu, Buddhist, agnostic, atheistic, Christians of all types, Catholics. And so we come together as a community and it's interesting to see how the different worldviews converge and how people receive information that you and I, as Western Christians, kind of take for granted. And so it causes us at the school to really approach things from, from a different world. So having set that up for you a little bit, I, I would like to read the text, and you may remain seated. It's going to be a, a lengthy text, and it comes to us from the book of Acts, Acts 17. And we have uh, Paul and the gang, they are on, uh, on their second journey. And so I'm going to read from Acts 17, beginning at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and he said to them, and they, and some said of him, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship to the unknown God... What therefore you worshipped as unknown, I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to stone or image formed by the art of an imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. 
And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysus, the Oropagite, and the woman named Demaris, and others with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a little background. As I mentioned earlier, this is Paul's second journey. Journey. He has his missionary journey. He has the gang with him. He has Silas, and he has Luke, and so on. This time, though, they were in Europe. And you may recall that uh, we read later on about the baptism of Lydia, the first European convert. They went through Thessalonica, and it was a strategic trade city in, uh, in northern Greece, located on the shores of the Aegean Sea. And along there was this, the Via Ignatia. It was constructed in the second century B.C., and it crossed Illyricum and Macedonia and Thriatia, running through the territory that is now part of Albania and northern Macedonia, Greece, and the European Turkey. When Paul arrived there, he preached. He preached in the synagogues, and he told the Jews about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that he suffered and he died on the cross. It touched a lot of hearts. But my question for you is, what happens if you come across a people group that does not share your common Western Judeo-Christian understanding and worldview. They have a completely different idea of what God is or what is a God, much less the God that you and I know as, as Christians. D.A. Carson, also known as Don Carson, he, uh, he has, is a prolific writer. I'll read them for you. These are his words. In the past, here in North America, evangelism has meant something like this. We presuppose the overwhelming majority of our Hearers basically share our worldview. Evangelism has meant for us emphasizing certain relatively small parts of the whole Bible's storyline. In particular, salvation by grace through faith, the substitutionary nature of Christ's death, and the importance of self-abandonment. You see, if we were dealing with atheists or agnostics, they were not generic atheists or agnostics. Rather, they were Christian atheists or agnostics. So the kind of God in whom they did not believe or the kind of God about whom they were uncertain was a Christian God. But that's all changing. Here in the Western world, that's all changing. It is important to recognize that there is an enormous diversity. When Paul was evangelizing, he began in the synagogues what had been a biblical background but he reached out to a world which knew nothing of a biblical background. What then may we learn from this passage about preaching the Bible to people who live in another universe, to biblical literates from our framework? And so this sets the stage for where we are today. Uh, yesterday morning and into the afternoon, Angela and I met with the board of uh, Sun Network, our, our missions organization. We always start every board meeting with a, uh, a look into scripture 
with a devotion, and it happened to be Acts 17. And reading through that, I thought, I, I really would like to preach and teach on this again. Now, be warned. Be careful what you wish for. When my text message was received at 1027 last night from Josh Sparrow and said, hey, we've had a change of plans. Do you think you could preach in the morning? <laughs> Here I am. I really am excited about this. It's, it's a fabulous text. And so this, this is going to flow a little differently, more like a, a, maybe more like a Bible study in that I want to share with you what came out of this devotion with our board yesterday morning and what people observed, what stood out from them from this incredible text. It's a huge lesson for each of us changed in these United States and that we can no longer assume that everybody understands what God we're talking about or even, uh, even any concept of what a loving, grace-filled God is. And so we started off with uh, the Apostle Paul. Of course, he's there on the Areopagus, also called Mars Hill in Athens. And he was brought up there to attest to his claims, his strange claims. You know, the, the Athenian ethic, they didn't understand where Paul was coming from. And this is important. Paul started by affirming the Athenians' religiosity and by establishing some common ground between them. Paul did this despite his own distress over their idols. He took his personal views out of it because they were worshiping idols that were, were not to be worshipped. So let's contextualize this in our own Certainly power riches, possessions, uh, idols in superstars who we listen to on the radio, what we watch on television, what we stream online. Those can become idols. And an idol, and, and whatever you worship, tends to be whatever you spend most of your time doing, dedicating your mind to. Your mind remembers everything that it's seen or heard. And it will come back. And so as we're entering into a world that's full of idols, distractions, our phones, oh my goodness, they have changed the landscape of this world. If you lived before the 2000s, you understand how drastically things have changed with the smartphone. Uh, can you believe it? Most of us of a certain age, we graduated from high school and from university without the internet. We had to go to a library. Or who wrote that song? We had to go and we had to, we had to research it. We couldn't just look it up on our cell phones. We actually had to talk. We had to research. We had to take time. We had to own what we believe. And so it's my perspective that so many people form their opinions and their belief systems, their worldviews, based on the opinions of others because it's so readily available. And we're not taught to think about who we are, more importantly, whose we are. So we become very shallow and uninformed about God the Father Almighty. So Paul wisely refrained from speaking out against the Athenians. He didn't demonize their idols and their manner of religious expression. Instead, Paul made efforts to familiarize himself with the 
religiosity of the Athenians with their idols and the related traditions. And I'm reminded of what Paul wrote uh, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Before you and I can begin to open somebody's heart and mind to hearing about the God that we know, we have to understand where they're coming from. It's about context. In youth ministry, there's a saying of you have to open the kid before you can open a book. It's no different. Not, not condoning where somebody is, but understanding where they are so that you can bring them up and out of that place in their lives. So Paul writing what he did in 1 Corinthians about becoming all things to all people, that works up into a point until he came upon that altar, an altar to an unknown God. Paul rightly and astutely bridged the gap and connected whom he was proclaiming, the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in it. This was new to their ears. This, too, is how you and I are to rightly proclaim God, the good news, pointing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't have to hit them over the head with the good news. It takes time. This is what missions truly is. It's, it's never, it's very rarely, I don't want to say never, it's very rarely an instantaneous commit to coming alongside of someone so that they may know the love, the grace, the mercy, and the joy that you and I know in Jesus Christ you better buckle up. It's going to take some time. So rather than pointing out and finding fault in our differences, proclaiming the good news is far better accomplished when we take the time to understand where the person is coming from and what they actually believe. It's the difference between listening to another person in order to formulate what your next words are going to be and listening to understand what the other person is saying in order to foster a genuine conversation and dialogue about the things of God. In the context of, of the ministry that Angel and I lead, we always talk about talking about the things of God because it can be different for different people. But if you welcome somebody into that conversation, you would be surprised at how open they would be to hear your views and maybe begin to wonder if that's a view they may want to explore. Part of being, of appealing rather to the things that are already familiar in another person's life so that a conversation can naturally draw them closer to God and truth is contextualizing it for them. There was a book written many years ago called Bruchko, and it's about a missionary who went into the jungles in, I think, the Congo or something of that sort. No, it was in South America, forgive me. But this, this people group, they were primitive, to say the least. Archaic, even. But it was on his heart to reach this people group. They were cannibalistic. They had no written language. And so there was no way to really contextualize. They had no word for God and Joseph. It took him time living in this community five years 
of getting to know this community and developing with them as he understood and learned their language, developing a, a simple alphabet so there, there could be a written language so you could begin to do some semblance of a translation of what we know as Scripture. Now, it didn't say the words that you and I love to hear when we're referring to God. Some people prefer to hear God only referred to as Yahweh. Words that they understood to help develop the understanding of what that relationship is. Five years just to get to the point where he could begin to express who we know is God the Father in heaven. And it was another five to ten years before converts happened. Now, in that region... There are what you and I know as Christian churches. Do they worship the way that you and I do? No. Do they use the same terminology that you and I do? No, because it had to be, and it takes time. It's a completely different perspective. I don't know if you, you recognize this, but in the, the passage that we read together, Paul did not mention Jesus one time. Not even once did he mention him by name. They weren't ready yet. He started where there was common ground, God. Now the Athenians, they understood the concept of God, or more importantly, however, God has a plan. He can deal with this. We don't always have to have those answers and have everything said the way that we want it to. In John 1, at verse 16, hear these words. For from his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. Jesus, by way of the Holy Spirit, is who enables you and myself to even begin to understand who God is. Moses received from an unknown God, an unseen God, the law an unknowable God. We receive the gospel from Jesus Christ that is grace, that is love, that is mercy, that is patience, and a personal knowledge of a loving God. It was not until the very end of Paul's witness on the Areopagus that he stated to the Athenians that knowing God was not only possible, it's expected. And we find that in verse 30, 30 through 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And all this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So at the very end, he brings in the concept and the understanding of resurrection. For you and myself, resurrection is everything. If Jesus did not return from the dead, what we do and what we remember, what we talk about, it's for naught. 1 Corinthians speaks to that directly. 1 Corinthians 15. Resurrection is everything. But it took time. And while he could broach synagogues with the Athenians, he couldn't quite get there yet. It took time. This is really the model that Jesus gave to us for evangelism. Let the other person take ownership of the process of stating their position and answering their own questions through dialogue in a context that is their own. Now, I'm not talking about believer's baptism. 
but making room for the Holy Spirit to walk in, to work in, around, and through your conversation. One of us is capable of bringing another person to Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And it's always in God's good timing. Angela and I have had the joy and the wonder of, of witnessing a person come to Christ where all the synapses went off and everything came together. It was like, oh, wow. And we brought the tears. And that's a glorious thing, but it's rare. You and I don't deserve to be witness to be his hands, his feet, his voices in the world. Every now and then, God will give us just a little attaboy, girl. You're doing a good job. Context is everything. Whether it is scripture or discovering the context and applicability of God in the life of someone who does not know God. This idea of faith, this word that you and I kick around, the Greek for it is pistis. And the literal translation of pistis is belief born out of proof. We don't have to prove God. But none of us in here will believe if we haven't discovered, experienced, had things happen in our lives that, would, that connected us to God. And now there's no question in our lives. We need to leave that same room for the people that are in our lives who do not know who God is. I love verse that they should seek God and perhaps fuel their way toward him and find him. It's this idea that they're still blind. The veil is still over their faces. But you can tell what's real and what's not. Yet he is actually not far away from any of us. God is present. He is present in the meal that we will be serving and, and sharing together. He is present in this worship. We're worshiping to an audience of one, the God, the Father in heaven. He is here, and he's never been far from you. He's not far from the people who do not yet know him. He's right there, but it takes time. So what do we as the church, what must we take into account in the context of other people's lives? It's patience. It's being genuine. And above all, being filled with joy, knowing that, that God has given us a lot of grace, love, and mercy. So Angela and I, and many of you in this room, have had the opportunity to evangelize in Illyricum, Albania, same place. Albania is a very different country from where Angela and I have normally served. We, former, we serve in former Soviet bloc nations primarily, which were Christian nations before the Soviet Union came in. Three and a half generations told there is no God. You'll be punished if you even speak of God. You can be terminated because you speak of God. But Albania is a little different in that, yes, they had that regime, but they're also culturally Muslim. And so that's a whole different worldview. In the Muslim worldview, God cannot be known. He's arbitrary and vengeful. That's not the And so the first mission trip that we took there, we took a team. We couldn't even mention Jesus. Not at all. Even though we were working with the only Christian church within a 75-mile radius, all of our songs, all the lyrics had to be cleansed. 
And we could talk, we could say Lord, we could say God, because we understood the concept of God, but not which God. And so that first year, we couldn't mention Jesus. Imagine how difficult that is for somebody who wants to share their lives. And until we returned the second year, that we could begin to kind of, not until midway through, that we could talk about the idea of Jesus, the Son of God. The third year, we were full-on Jesus. Because by that time, the partners in ministry there had begun to open up dialogue with different families in different villages and, and let them know that we're not here trying to convert anybody, but giving them that space to discover who God is, the real God. Today, there's thriving ministry happening in parts of Albania. Many of you know Alba and her region of Albania and the Deva region. There's some incredible things going on, but it's taking a long time, much longer than us Western Christians want it to take. Just in the last few months have fathers allowed their daughters to spend time with the Christians at an outreach center in a small village. So this impromptu sermon put together today so that we could worship the one true God is meant to be offered as an encouragement that we just need to be patient. We need to know who we are, whose we are, and what we're being called to do, and that's to be a witness in the world. But recognizing that we have to take our time, we can't assume that we know what the other person's thinking. I know stories of, of a couple of students at Manal School, one in particular who, who uh, was raised devoutly Muslim, but has been spinning and rubbing elbows with a lot of devout Christians. And he's beginning to think, hmm, I want to know more. And I'm excited to see what God's doing in his life. And every now and then we get to hear updates. There are dozens of stories of it like that. And so that's what that school does. It's Christian founded, but it's not evangelistic. Not because we're afraid, but because we're trying to meet people where they are and come alongside of them. Are we going to get everybody? No. But in God's good time, we're told in Revelation that every knee will bow. And all people from all have faith. Be strong. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Father, we thank you for the gift of this day and this opportunity to dive into your word and to let it wash over us and encourage us in knowing that it's not by our own strength or knowledge or cunning, but by being a connection point for those of the world who are seeking you but don't know where to find you or how to find you. May we lean into you in all things, both good and bad, so that we're there to glorify you in your holy name. Thank you for calling us your sons and your daughters. Amen.